wonderful reminders through our worship of how much God loves us. And we want to invite you now to turn to Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along. We're going to be looking at one of the most beloved chapters in all the Bible, concentrating primarily on the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 15. While you're finding your way there, I want to share a verse out of the Psalms with you. Psalm 86 verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and merciful God. You are patient and demonstrate great loyal love and faithfulness. You know, through our series in the Gospel of Luke, we're looking at what it means to be a servant of the Lord. How can we learn to be a servant of the Lord? And for you and I, one of the challenges today is this, that we may think we're serving the Lord. We may call whatever we're doing serving the Lord. But if we're not serving the Lord out of a heart that is lined up with His heart, then that's really and truly not serving the Lord. And this chapter is really going to call us to identify with the heart of God, to align our heart with God's heart, to see His heart in this chapter, and to say, is that who I am? Is that how I act and respond to others around me and even to God? Is, is that what my service is based on? And so this morning, I'd like you to just follow along with me as I read the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 15. It says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear him. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining. This man, speaking about Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go and look for the one that is lost until he finds it? Then when he has found it, he places it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Returning home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, telling them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need to repent. Or what woman... If she has ten silver coins and loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search thoroughly until she finds it. Then when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Jesus did not teach in parables simply for telling a story's sake. In fact, even as here, what was happening gave Jesus a teachable moment, a moment seeing what was happening around him and what he heard happening around him to, in a sense, launch into a parable. Because this really is not three parables. It is one parable, as you see there in verse 3. He told them this parable that is dealing with three entities. It's dealing with a sheep, a coin, and a son. 
And even though the story of the prodigal son beginning in verse 11 to the end of the chapter is the more familiar part of this chapter, I want to focus primarily on the first 10 verses because even in these verses, you have the same principles taught here that's taught even in the story of the prodigal son. I want to give, obviously, a little bit of context here before we launch into looking at these specific parables, and then Jesus even giving at the end of each parable an application of the parable in verse 7 and in verse 10. But you'll notice what brought this all about. In verse 1, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear him. Tax collectors, sinners. These were descriptions, if you will, of the outcasts of society. These were people that other people avoided. These were people that, you know, had very few friends uh, and acquaintances. These were people that especially, as you see even in this context, that the religious leaders of Israel looked down upon, wanted nothing to do with, did not want to keep company with them. And yet, these were the folks, the folks that didn't feel like they belonged to anyone else and with anyone else, these were the people that were flocking to be near Jesus. First of all, I want us to see that in the word coming, we see this is really what the essence of our Christian faith is all about. It is drawing near to God. That's what they were doing. They were coming near or drawing near to God. Aren't we glad this morning that God allows us through what Jesus did on the cross to draw near to him? We've been talking about this on Sunday and Wednesday. I think it's something that God wants his people to get. It's something, again, that James reiterates in his letter when he says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's not just about having a relationship with God. It's about getting as close to God and coming as near to God as we possibly can, and that God has removed all the obstacles, all the barriers in our way so that we can come near him. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16 says, let's come boldly or confidently under the very throne of grace. We can enter the very throne room of God in heaven because of what Jesus did. All about getting near to God. Are we taking time? each day, each week, each month, each year that we are alive on this earth as God's followers to come near, to draw near to Him. And maybe you're feeling like you're one of those tax collectors and sinners, that, that you're an outcast, that, that, that you, know, you don't have anyone or any group to identify with. Well, I, I can tell you this, Jesus will welcome you. Jesus will allow you to come near to Him. He will never cast you out. You always belong with Jesus and should then belong with those who identify themselves with Jesus. That's again where we begin to start seeing how God wants to shape hearts here because that's what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to take this moment not only to point out the heart of the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were there and wanted to show them that their heart wasn't lined up with God, but he wanted to show his followers who were present 
what the heart of God looks like in some way. So notice, but they weren't just coming near to him. They were coming near to hear him, to listen. And again, I've shared this before that the you know, chapter divisions in the Bible are inspired like the word of the Bible are inspired. So you'll notice that this comes on the heels of the very end of chapter 14 that we looked at last week, where Jesus ends by saying, the one who has ears to hear had better listen. Jesus is calling for a faith response to what he has just said. He, he's wanting people not just to come near, but to truly listen to him, to have a heart and mind that is open to hear and to give great uh, attention and interest to what Jesus is saying. Are we listening to Jesus, you see? Not just coming near to him, but are we listening to him? And this reminds us that even in our personal interaction in our prayer time with him, that there should be time where we obviously tell our request to God, that's what we're encouraged to do, and to pour out our hearts to God, but there also should be time where we are silent before God and where we are listening to what God wants to say and speak into our lives as well. That's all part of coming near to him, is not just being in physical proximity to him and, and living in the presence of God and being in the presence of God, but it's opening up our ears, if you will, and listening because God always has something he wants to say to us and speak into our lives. And I want to point this out. Only those who feel they have a need of Jesus are truly listening to Jesus. You see, the tax collectors and the sinners, they had a need. And they felt like Jesus was the one who could meet that need. And so they were open to not only coming near to him, but listening to him. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the experts in the law that Jesus points out in verse 2, they weren't listening to Jesus. In fact, he describes them at the end of verse 7 as those who have no need to repent. And because they had no need, if you will, for Jesus, they weren't listening to Jesus. No, the Bible says in verse 2, they were complaining. They were expressing dissatisfaction at what Jesus was doing and, and especially who he was doing it with. Which also reminds me that when you and I serve the Lord, there will always be people who maybe, again, express dissatisfaction at how we are serving the Lord. If, if Jesus was criticized for, for in his service, we will be criticized as well. But this is very important. Don't forget that the Pharisees and the experts in the law that we are seeing here in verse 2 were the religious leaders of Israel. These were the folks that the rest of the people of Israel were supposed to look to for spiritual guidance and direction and to be an example and a model of what it was like not only to know God, but to serve Him. And yet what we are finding here is the religious leaders of Israel did not have the heart of God nor were they aware of their own spiritual condition and need before God. 
They were the ones that Jesus is going to talk about in a little bit, again in verse 7, like the 99 righteous who have no need to repent. They thought they were good. We're good. We're, we're ancestors of our father Abraham. We are Pharisees. We are experts in the law. We don't need, Jesus, what you're peddling and what you're selling, if you will. We don't need it. We're good. And therefore, they weren't listening to Jesus. They were complaining about Jesus. This is a reminder to us, a very cautionary tale, if you will, that just because we hold a position, just because we have a title, just because we've been to Bible college or seminary or we have this, this behind or this, whatever, it doesn't matter. We can have all the things that, that we can accumulate in the world and still not have the heart of God, you see. That, that heart is something that God shapes in us each and every day as we walk with Jesus, as we talk with Jesus, as we spend time with him, as, as he was doing with the disciples here, he can begin to fashion and shape our heart to be like his. These religious leaders knew the Old Testament like the back of their hand, but they had no heart of God as they dealt with other people. You see. And you and I have to be careful that the longer we walk with the Lord even, and the longer we're saved, and the more time we spend in church and in His Word and all these things, that's all great, but let's make sure we don't get to the point like the religious leaders of Israel where we've got all these sort of things in our life, but they haven't given us a heart like God's heart. Because that's what God's looking for. He's looking for those who serve Him, who serve Him having a heart like He has. And we're going to see real clearly what that heart looks like. Because notice they go on to say as they're complaining to probably His other disciples and followers, this man welcomes sinners. He's making himself accessible. He's actually friendly towards these people. Oh, and then he goes a step further. He eats with them. And eating was more than just like sharing food. It, it was, it was a, a way of manifesting fellowship. It was actually accepting people into our social circle, if you will. It was being willing to associate and be companion with others. Let me use a, a term that, frankly, I'm a little bit tired of hearing, and I'm sure some of you are too, but this wasn't the first time in history that social distancing was being practiced. You'll notice that the religious leaders of Israel way back then were practicing social distancing from the tax collectors and sinners. Because why? Because they thought they could get something from them. We can't, we can't get too close to them or else they're going to contaminate us, you see. And so they stayed away from these people. And that's why they're so appalled that Jesus comes along, one who others and are, are saying is a, is a rabbi, is a, is a teacher, is maybe even a prophet or whatever, and he's got this following going, and they're going, well, what kind of teacher is this? What, what kind of prophet or rabbi is this? He welcomes these people? He eats with these people? And I would say yes, and I'm so thankful that he does. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus welcomes 
sinners. Where would any of us be if Jesus was not making himself accessible to us throughout our life? If he was not willing to not only make himself accessible and accept us into his presence, but associate with us and and be willing to share a meal with us and all of that again it goes back to he doesn't want to just desire a relationship he wants to get as close to us as possible and this was appalling to the religious leaders of israel because they didn't know a heart they didn't know jesus heart they didn't understand the heart of god you see and what's really a shame is that means that they didn't see the value and worth of anyone else but themselves. You see, in their minds, you know, as long as, as long as people did life and did church and did ministry the way they saw it, they were good. You could be part of our group. But if, if you didn't do it like we say it should be done, want nothing to do with you. And Jesus comes along and basically explodes all of that by sitting down with those, again, that were the outcasts of society. Mark it down, my friends. Luke 15, 1 and 2. You may feel that way. You may feel you are, you are of no value, of no worth, that you are an outcast, that you don't, have never found anyone or any group to fit into. Let me remind you, Jesus Christ loves you. And Jesus Christ will welcome you with open arms into his, into his fellowship, into a relationship with him. He will never push you away. You always have a place with Jesus. Always, you see. So, with all of that, Jesus then told them this parable. Again, this parable, one parable dealing with three entities, a sheep, a coin, and a son. And notice he begins to try to bring them into the story by saying to them, well, which one of you, so that they start to think about this, which one of you, if he has a hundred sheep, pretend you're a shepherd for a moment, which, by the way, can I say that even in the examples that Jesus uses in these parables, in these stories, these were people that the religious leaders of Israel did not look up to. In fact, they looked down at them, a shepherd was not looked up to by the religious leaders of Israel, a woman. And yet Jesus uses them in the story. He said, which one of you, if you were a shepherd and you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them, would not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go and look for the one that is lost until he finds it? Jesus is saying, the heart of God is that my love for you will passionately pursue you if you are not with me or even if you were with me and you walked away from me. The love of God is anything but passive. It is always initiating. It is always going after people because every last one of us is of great value and worth to God. You see, searching for what is lost reveals its value to us. And that's God. And I want us to apply these stories today not just to God's heart for those that don't know him yet, for those that are not believers. I want us to also apply that to believers because we can be like sheep that wander away from our shepherd. 
We can be like the son in the last story that feels like it's not enough to be in the father's house and to be with the father and to have him love us every day. There's got to be something outside that can fulfill and satisfy us greater. So we walk away from God, even as God's people at times. And what I want us to see is that God is not sitting back. He is going after us. And notice it says also in verse three or in verse four, one. In fact, you see this word used throughout the stories or the parable. One sheep in verse four. Then again in verse four, the one that is lost. Then in verse seven, one sinner that repents. It is the one coin in verse 8 that she loses. And then finally in verse 10, the one sinner who repents. One. Because what is the other thing that Jesus is emphasizing here? That every last one of us is of greatest value and worth to God. That there is no human being ever who's ever come into this world that God does not love. And that means God loves you as much as he loves anyone else. I hope you receive that this morning because it, it's so easy for us maybe to think how much God loves somebody else and yet not really ever truly accept or receive how much God loves us. No, God loves you, the one. And I truly believe that God loves us as one us individually so much that even if we would have been the only human being on this earth, that Jesus would have left heaven and he would have come to die for just us. That's how much he loves you today. And, and again, God wants us to get that because that's his heart. And if we're going to serve him, that means, first of all, we've got to come to grips and accept and receive his love for us. We've got to believe that we are of great worth and value to God. Because how can we love our neighbor as ourselves if we don't even love ourselves first? Which really means accepting how much God values us and how much worth we are to God. We've got to start there. Then we've got to begin to look out at others and see every last human being through the lens and through the eyes of God. We've got to see every last human being as being of greatest worth and value God, equal to us. He doesn't love them any less than he loves us, but he doesn't love them any more than he loves us. He loves every one of us. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. One is valuable. So the shepherd would be willing to leave the 99 in the open pasture and to go after the one who had wandered away. You'll notice something else very interesting at the end of verse 4. He doesn't say if he finds it. He says until he finds it. In other words, the question isn't that somewhere along the line, the shepherd or God is going to get tired of pursuing and of going after those that aren't with him. He will pursue us until he finds us. The question isn't that God can't find any of us. The question is, do we want to be found by God? That's the question. Because God will find us. See, 
God is not incapable of somehow losing us. I mean, the Bible talks about the fact that, you know, because he's omniscient and omnipresent, he knows exactly where we are, and he will come after us. The question is not that God won't come after us. I mean, even think of the prophet Jonah that was, again, serving the Lord. It would have been very easy when he became disobedient and went the other way for God to say, fine, I'm just going to wash my hands of you. I'll find somebody else to do the job. And, and God could have chosen to do that. But God also wanted to show us, even in the story of Jonah, that even when my servant goes the wrong way, I'm going after him. I'll send a fish to swallow him up. I'll, I'll get him back because I, I don't want him to think that even though he's being disobedient to me at this time, that I've stopped loving him. I'm going to go after him too. God goes after all of us until he finds us. And then I love this picture. Then Jesus says, when he has found it, that sheep, that one that has wandered away, he places it on his shoulders rejoicing. Let's talk first of all about the shepherd taking the sheep, wrapping its legs around its head, putting its stomach, you know, right here on the back of the neck, wrapping the legs around, in a sense, in front of its face. That's what a shepherd would do. And, and one of the reasons why, especially at this moment, is that little sheep would have been very tired by this point of wandering so far away. And so you even see the love and the fact that the shepherd doesn't, you know, scold the sheep and all of that and, and drive it back to be with the others. No, he picks it up and he carries the sheep because he knows the sheep is weary and tired from wandering away from one who loved him so much. And he puts him on his back. And then Jesus is going to begin to say, and here's the heart of God, when I find that which is lost, what has run away from me, I rejoice when I have found it. I rejoice that it wants to be found and wants to be brought back into my loving arms again. That being, brings me great joy because throughout these stories, this one parable that involves these three entities, Jesus is also contrasting the great joy that it brings God that, that he finds those that are lost and that they're willing to be found by him compared to the reaction of the religious leaders of Israel who are grumbling and griping and complaining about the fact that these sinners are coming to him. Later on in the very same gospel, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus makes this statement, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's, he said, why I came. I came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus is doing here. Now keep your finger there in Luke 15 and go back with me to the book of Isaiah for just a moment. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11 to this beautiful picture. In fact, we saw this several weeks ago when I was going through the book of Isaiah. It's a beautiful picture of God again as the shepherd of Israel. And notice something here. It's, it's very similar to what we read in Luke. Like a shepherd, Isaiah 40, 11, he tends his flock. He gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries them close to his heart. Again, closeness, carrying us. And then, notice this. He leads the ewes along. Why is 
they're this picture of the shepherd leading the female sheep, the mamas, along, you see. Well, because if he's carrying their baby, the mama doesn't want to be too far from her baby, so the mama follows the shepherd who's carrying one of her children in his arms. And they're allowing the shepherd to do the caring, but they're following close as well. It's a good reminder to us moms and dads and grandparents and everything too is that, yes, we're called to parent and called to be grandparents and guardians and all of that of our little ones, but the best place that we can place our little ones is in the arms of God. And we can trust our children and our grandchildren in His loving arms. We really can. He'll, he'll, let us, he'll let us walk along, but He wants to be the one that we trust our children with. Because you and I can't be to anybody else, even our own children and grandchildren. We can't be what only God can be. Trust your children and your grandchildren in the arms of God. Let Him carry them. He'll let you walk along, but he wants us to place them in his arms, ultimately speaking. That's a beautiful picture of, again, the heart of God for his children. Back to Luke. Returning home, verse 6, he calls together his friends and neighbors, telling them, rejoice with me because I found my sheep that was lost. Rejoice? Yeah. Because that's the heart of God. He loves it when those that have wandered away or gotten lost or are lost are willing to be found and come back to him. There's rejoicing, extravagant joy God displays when the lost are found. Now here's something too. Do we have friends and neighbors that we would call, could call, to be part of this? Are we someone else's friends and neighbors? Because what Jesus is also saying, isn't it great when you have joys in your life as well as sorrows and you know that there's a few people that you can share those sor sorrows and joys with? Who you, you can say, hey, will you rejoice with me? I just found something, you see. And all of us have maybe a story in our lifetime of something or someone that was dear to us that was lost for a while and how good it was to find them. I'm going to share real quickly a story from my children's childhood when Steve and Beth were growing up in our household. We had this dear family dog, a beagle we called Esther. And Esther, like a typical beagle, you know, lived with its nose to the ground. But most of the time, we had no trouble with her ever running away. But one time when we lived in New York, she got out of our fenced-in yard. And we were all just sick about thinking there was a big highway next door. You know, was she going to get hit by a car? Is this the last time we were going to see her? Was she going to wander off into the woods and something happened? And again... When you have someone or something that has, that has wandered off and gotten lost, you know how that feels. You know that feeling. 
But hopefully you also know the feeling because as we got in the car and we were all sort of going in different directions, I, I got in the car and I can't even remember which one of the, the kids was maybe in the car with me. We start driving up the highway and all of a sudden we look to the right and there was Esther just huffing and puffing by this point, but she was walking up the, the highway there and there was nothing like just sort of scooping her up and bringing her into the car and, and just scooping her up into our arms saying, oh, good, I'm so glad we found you and that nothing happened to you. Now, think about that. She was just a dog. Yeah, yeah, part of the family, but she was just a dog. Can you imagine how much more God, our creator, our savior, the one who loves us more than we can? Can you imagine what it's like for him when one of his own that he loves so much is willing to come back and be embraced in his arms? That's what you're seeing here. And, and Jesus is hoping that there will be those in our lives that when we find something or when something good happens that we can share it with. And then he makes the application in verse 7. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. Joy in heaven. More joy in heaven. Jesus says, you think there's joy down here when you find something? He said, when, when there's one person who comes back to God, when there's one person who, who wants to be found by God, he says, there's a party in heaven. There is celebration in heaven. He said, you can't even imagine it. How joyful, how much joy there is in heaven when just one returns to God. By the way, repentance here is certainly a large part of what Jesus is saying. In a sense, that's how I'm describing wanting to be found. Because it really, the word repentance really means one who has a complete change of heart. But it's only a change of heart that comes about with God. You see, it's being able to see things then from the way God sees them. And it, and it basically then turns into living then a life that's different than before. In some way, in some aspect, or maybe even totally a different way of living. But it starts with a change of heart. A change of heart maybe about God, about what we think about God, what we believe about God. So many things, but the essence of it is there's a change of heart that happens wanting to be found. And Jesus says, when I come across any one human being that is willing to have that change of heart and wants to be found, I'm right there. Just like the father in the last story, I'm not waiting at the house. I'm running towards my son. And I'm going to put my arms around him and I'm going to hug him and I'm going to kiss him and I'm going to welcome him back and I'm going to even honor him. And all that he's done, I'm not going to worry about all that. I'm not going to bring that up. That's not what I'm going to emphasize is all the years that he wasted and all the money that he wasted. No, no. I'm going to put the robe on him. We're going to kill the, 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 the best, you know, to have the best meal. We're going to celebrate because I'm just so happy that my son returned. That's the heart of God. So let's look quickly at the second story. What woman? And this was obviously, I think, a poor woman. Because it says she had 10 silver coins and she lost one. And yet she was frantic to find it. Some would go, well, one coin, what's the big deal? Well, again, if you're a poor woman or maybe a single woman or a widow or whatever, that one coin was huge. Also, in this biblical context, many times a woman's 
dowry that she received at marriage was 10 silver coins. And so it might not have just been a monetary loss for this dear woman. It might have been a very sentimental loss for this woman. And she really wanted to find this one coin. So notice, three verbs indicate the great effort and zeal she undertook in order to find it. Lit the lamp, swept the house, and searched. Lit, swept, and searched. Then he adds thoroughly. It means diligently. It means carefully. Leaving no stone, if you will, in her house unturned. She was so concerned. She concerned herself over the loss of one coin because it meant something to her. It was of great value and worth to her. And again, just like in the first story, notice she searched thoroughly, not if she found it, but until she found it. Because she was going to find it. She was going to turn her house upside down until she found it. It was worth that much. That's the heart of God for others. That's the heart of God for us. And then it says, when she's found it, she again calls together her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Again, let me ask you, do you have people in your life that you feel like you can share the, this kind of news with who would appreciate the moment and share our joy? It's so important. It's so important that we can be that for someone else that they know when something good or maybe, again, something sorrowful happens, that there are those that they can call and that we are called as the body of Christ to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and to weep with those who are weeping. That's, again, what Jesus... Why? Because that's part of His heart. That's who He is for us. He wants us to share our joys with Him and also share our sorrows with Him. He wants us to share everything in life with Him because He cares about everything. Everything you and I care about, He cares about because he loves us that much. And if you and I are going to serve him and have the heart of God, then we love others that way too. We see the value that God places on them, and therefore they're of value and worth to us just as they are to God. And the things that are sorrowful and, and, and make us rejoice, that hopefully we have others that we have that kind of relationship and fellowship with as well. So again, Jesus makes the application in verse 10. A little bit different than in verse 7. In the same way, he says, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Just one. Many times you're like, oh, it's just one. It's just one coin. I, I don't need that coin. I'll just let it go. No, no. With Jesus, one human being matters because every last one of us is of greatest worth and value. That's how much he loves us. And Jesus says, you don't realize that in heaven, and here's the thing, Jesus knows what goes on in heaven. He lives there. And until he came to earth, that's where he was. He knows what goes on in heaven. So he's telling us firsthand by firsthand experience, let me tell you what heaven is like. When one sinner has a change of heart and is willing to be found, there is joy in the presence of the angels. There's a party. There's great celebration. It's extravagant joy. And again, think about that in contrast to these religious leaders the ones who say, we're serving God. We're the servants of God. But they have no heart of God. They have no heart for others. Everyone who's not like them, they look down upon. They complain, they criticize, they gripe. They have no heart for others. But Jesus says, no, there's joy in the presence of the angels. You see, 
If you have a family member or a friend who's went ahead of you into heaven, know that there are times where they do know what's going on here because God lets them in on the fact when one comes back to him or is willing to be found, they know it so that they can celebrate it, you see. Let me ask you this morning. Jesus has talked about a lot here, but one of the things he talks about is repentance, having a change of heart. Do we need to have a change of heart about something today? Is there something we need to repent about and to see from God's perspective, to see through his eyes? And maybe it starts with us having a change of heart about how we view ourselves, about finally seeing us the way God sees us, to see ourselves as of greatest value and worth, that even if we would have been the only person on earth, Jesus Christ would have loved us enough to come to this earth and to die for us. Do we see ourselves that way? And then, do we need to have a change of heart about how we see others? Are we more like the religious leaders of Israel? Or are we more like Jesus? And maybe we need to allow Jesus to do a little bit more work on our hearts so that as we serve him and seek to serve him, we are serving the way God would serve. We are serving out of a heart of love for others. To see the value and worth in every last human being around us. No wonder, Jesus says, that's why my followers will even love their enemies. Because we look past the things that have divided us and maybe caused us to be at enmity with each other, and we still see them at the end of the day as one that Christ died for. We see at the end of the day that they are still of greatest value and worth to God. Love. God is love. And everyone who wants to live in God must love as God loves. And if we want to serve the Lord, we must learn to serve him out of a heart of love. Lord, give us, Lord, your heart today. Lord, begin to shape our heart to be like more like your heart, God. And if there's a change of heart that needs to happen in our lives today, Lord, enable that to happen. Help me to begin to see others and to see things the way you see them, God. And maybe even it starts with how I view myself. God, there's no greater love that we will ever know than your love. You are willing to let anything go to go after just one of us who wanders away from you, who gets lost for whatever reason, God. There's nothing passive about your love. It is so actively pursuing us. And even as Nicole pointed out earlier, God, we love you because you first loved us. You started it, God. You initiated it. 
That's your heart. And instead of us sitting back waiting for others to love us and do for us, God, help us more to be like you and just to get out there and love regardless of whether others love us or not. Because that's the way you love God. That's who you are. God, would you do a work in our hearts today so that our hearts can more be aligned with your heart so that we can truly truly serve you, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.